Hi, ladies. Welcome to um, Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. And it is great to be here with each and every one of you today. I'm so happy to um, be able to open our Bibles together. And that's exactly what we're going to do. When I was in the eighth grade, I read the best book. I still remember being delighted in it. Uh, it was actually came out as a movie that year as well. It was called The Miracle Worker. And it's the true story of a young teacher named Annie Sullivan and how she reached into the dark and isolated world of a six-year-old girl named Helen Keller. And she changed Helen Keller's life forever. Um, Sullivan was called teacher by Helen Keller for the rest of her life. And what she did for Helen Keller is she developed a way of doing sign language in Helen's hand so that she could feel the letters as they were spelled out into words. The only problem was Helen, who was quite bright, picked up all the letters and words rapidly, but she had no understanding of the meaning of those words. She had never seen or heard or experienced a bird. She had no idea what a flower was, but she could spell out those words. Um, even though she had no understanding, she could mimic them. But the words were meaningless to her. And then one day, as teacher was pumping water into Helen Keller's one hand and spelling out the word water in the other hand, the light bulb came on and she connected the meaning and understanding of those words with the letters. It changed her life. And in the movie, there's this dramatic scene where understanding dawns on Helen Keller and then she grabs teacher and she begins to drag her all over the house, picking up items and asking her to spell them out in her hand. Words finally have deep and true meaning for her. Today, we're going to take another journey with our psalmist into Psalm 119, and we're going to see him grab hold of God as his teacher so that God's word would be more than just empty letters and phrases on a page for him. They would have life-changing meaning for our psalmist. You know, a few weeks ago, we were together and we looked at the first 24 verses of Psalm 119, and we saw our psalmist ask God, to open his eyes to the wonder of God's word. And as we continue in this awesome, great psalm this week, we're going to see him say to God himself, teach me, teach me. Unlike Helen Keller, who had no idea of the world that was going to be opened uh, to her when her teacher made her understand the connection between these words and the world around her, our psalmist does understand that God's truth will change his life. So let's look at Psalm 119 again together. Open your Bibles to verse 25, and we're going to read a couple of verses together. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. 
And what we see here is our psalmist is actually having a one-on-one intimate conversation with God himself. He is speaking to the Lord. And what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we are going to eavesdrop on that conversation. You know, sometimes when you eavesdrop, you hear things you don't want to know, right? But we uh, are going to eavesdrop today because this conversation is packed with things that we do want to know. And the very first thing that jumps out to us in these few verses is his direct plea to the God of all the universe to teach him his word. And we actually see him say it twice here in these first eight verses. The first time we see it is in verse 26 where he says, teach me your statutes. And again in verse 29, he says, graciously teach me. And there he uses Um, an imperative command. He's emphatic in his very first ask there. And the word translated teach in our Bibles means to diligently and expertly teach uh, with excellence. He modifies that word, diligently and expertly teach with excellence. He modifies that in verse 29 with the word graciously. And that word means with mercy or to stoop in kindness to someone inferior. So our psalmist actually recognizes here who he is and who God is. And he asks God to stoop in kindness towards him and expertly impart life-changing truth from his word. Now, our psalmist also shares in these first eight verses his classroom goals and expectations as a student of the master teacher um, in the school of God's word. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, there were always a couple of teachers who asked you on the very first day, write down your goals for this class. Write down what you expect to learn in the next few months. Our psalmist doesn't need his teacher to tell him to do that um, because he jumps right in and he tells the teacher everything he needs to know in these first eight verses. He tells him how he feels. He tells him what he wants out of this session with the master teacher. And he tells him what he needs from God's word. And then he even tells him what the teacher can expect of him. He's a pretty unusual student. And he starts right here in verse 25, right off the bat with his feelings. He tells the teacher his feelings, and he's despairing. And he describes it here as his soul clinging to dust. Now, throughout Psalm 119, our psalmist periodically reveals that he's facing opposition and trials. And most likely the persecution that he's facing that he talks about in Psalm 119 is because of his relationship with God and his love for God's word. And the result of those attacks on him because of God's word is that he's hurt. He's depressed. He's probably anxious. You know, most of us have had an experience with despair sometime in our life. We might describe it differently than having our soul cling to dust. But what he's telling us here is that he's really at a low point, but he knows what will help. He knows the remedy for this low point in life, and that is truth from God's word. Now, my ESV Bible translates the Hebrew here as him saying to God, give me life according to your word. But my favorite translation of this phrase right here in verse 25 is from the message. And it says, get me on my feet again. You promised. Uh, 
he's not asking for his life to be protected here. We see from David, often in David's psalm, David asks for him to be protected. But that's not what the psalmist is asking for here. He's asking for God to revive him in the midst of his despair and anxiety. He's asking for physical, emotional, and spiritual revival through the truths that are in God's word. And certainly, I believe, and I'm sure you believe too, that God's word can do everything that the psalmist is asking for here in his despair. It is God's word that reveals the great power of God, isn't it? It is God's word that reveals how that power actually works and is manifested in our life. It's God's word that reminds us that he's creator God, sustainer God, merciful God, loving God, gracious God. All of these are revealed in the pages of our Bible. And our psalmist wants all of that in the midst of his despair. He wants God's word to be hard at work in his life. You know, I've thought many times um, in my life, and I'm sure you have too, uh, what do people do who are at a low point in their life and they don't have God and they don't have his promises. You know, it's hard to imagine how they ever get back on their feet without the promises of God. His word gives us rich promises to rest on, to run to, to trust in. When everything else in our lives has crumbled, our psalmist knows that it is God's truth that revives us in times of trouble. In fact, he speaks of that further on in Psalm 119. Look at uh, 119 verse 93. It's on your verse sheet. And our psalmist says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. We need God's word to get back on our feet when we are despairing. Now, the next thing we learn um, as we listen to our psalmist talk directly to God is that our student here in God's classroom doesn't simply want to memorize facts or memorize words um, in God's word. He wants understanding. He wants understanding. And what he's expressing here to God is he wants the deep meaning of God's truth to be part of his life. He wants wisdom and discernment into God's word. And our psalmist, again, is emphatic about gaining understanding, deep truth into God's word, because he says, make me, make me understand. And his words here point out that God's role in the process of understanding his word is primary and important. God isn't an afterthought when we want understanding into the deep meaning of God's word. You know, we can be students of God's word on our own intellect, can't we? We can um, have lofty credentials that we share with everyone about studying God's word, but it's not going to bring our own intellect and our lofty credentials are not going to bring the same understanding that God himself provides with us supernaturally through his spirit when we study his word. We have a, a role in studying God's word, don't we? Our psalmist talks about it in verse 27. Our job is to do what the psalmist commits to. He says he will meditate on God's word. And what, what he means here is that he's gonna spend time in God's word. He's gonna ponder it. He's gonna study it. 
He's going to pray over it. He may even have a conversation with another wise person about God's word. But it is going to be God himself who truly brings insight, deep meaning, and understanding out of our students' hard work. Look at Jeremiah 33 on your verse sheet. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. It truly is God that plays the most important role in our understanding the deep meaning of his word. All we have to do is ask. Now, our psalmist continues in these verses to talk to the master teacher. And in verse 28 and 29, he shares two more needs that will be met by God's word in his life. And the very first one is strength in suffering, strength to endure suffering. He's told us that his soul clings to dust in verse 25. And in verse 28, he gets even more poetic. He uses more hyperbole here because he says his soul is melting in sorrow. His soul is melting in sorrow. And um, I think I'm going to remember these great praises because it sounds so much better than me simply saying, I'm having a really bad day. So uh, the next time I'm having a really bad day, I'm going to tell all of you that my soul is melting in sorrow. Um, But we all know what he means, don't we? That really points out to us how bad we feel in suffering. It's hard to get out of bed when we're suffering, isn't it? It's hard to take care of our families. It's hard to go to work. It's hard to concentrate and get through the day. But our psalmist knows that his strength in those hard times, when his soul is melting, he knows it's going to come straight from the word of God. The word of God, through its power and its grace and its mercy, keeps us focused on the power of God. It keeps us focused on his great love for us in the midst of our suffering. It reminds us of his care and his comfort for us. I've told y'all before the story about um, my getting a phone call that one of my sweet grandbabies was in the cook's emergency room and he had taken what the doctors described as a fatal dose of heart medicine accidentally. And after I got that call and I needed to go be with my kids in that situation, I was shaking so badly, I would never have been able to make the drive to Cook's by myself, except that I recited Psalm 46 out loud all the way in the car. And it was only God's word that got me to that emergency room because it is God's word that strengthens us in times of suffering and despair. Look at what Psalm 46 says to us about God being with us in the worst of times. Psalm 46, 1 and 2 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. And Isaiah 41.10 reminds us, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our psalmist understands to the depth of his soul that when his soul is melting, it is God's word that will strengthen him. 
but he wants something else along with strength for his suffering. And he knows God's word can provide that. He knows that God's word will protect him from sin. That's what he means when he says, put false ways uh, away from me. He knows that God's word will be a fence around him. God's word will be a fence that protects him from idolatry and pride and hypocrisy and immorality and lying and many other sins uh, throughout his life. God's word will give him wisdom and insight and truth, and it will keep those sins out of his life, and it will keep the psalmist out of the places where those sins flourish. You know, fences really are about protection. My middle son was a climber. He climbed everything in the house. He climbed the cabinets and the bunk beds and the he climbed on top of the refrigerator. And when he was 18 months old, he could already, just like a little monkey, climb the four-foot chain-link fence that was in our backyard. It meant, and he would climb it and drop quickly into the neighbor's yard, which meant I had to climb it and drop quickly into the neighbor's yard. Um, so I discovered I could never take my eyes off of him when we were out in the backyard playing. But one day, my mother-in-law came over to keep the kids while I had a doctor's appointment. And in the blink of an eye, he did the same thing to her. I didn't get to see her climb the fence and drop into the neighbor's yard, but I know that she did because he didn't get away. And the very next day, a truck showed up in my driveway and put up a six-foot unscalable fence around my yard. <laughs> courtesy of my mother-in-law. She was never going to climb that fence again. Our psalmist wants the unscalable truth of God's word in his life. It's that unscalable truth that's going to protect him from sin. He's talked about God's word as protection for a pure life earlier in Psalm 119. Look at verse 9 that we read a few weeks ago together on your verse sheet, Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. He ends these verses here with the master teacher, these first eight verses, with his personal commitment to that word that is going to uh, be with him in times of suffering, that's going to protect him from sin. So look at his personal commitment in verse 30. He says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. You know, our psalmist started out these eight verses in despair, didn't he? But he doesn't want pity or sympathy here when he's talking about his despair. Everything that he wants, as he shares with the master teacher about his despair, everything that he wants comes from God's word. He wants to be revived emotionally and physically and spiritually through God's word. He wants to know the deep meaning of God's word that only God can give him. He wants strengthening and protection from God's word. But he understands that in the classroom, students have a responsibility as well, um, and he's willing to do his part here, to have all of those things, even in the midst of his despair. He's chosen to faithfully keep God's word as part of his life. He's chosen to cling to God's word, 
cling to God's word. And when he says that here, that gives us a picture of holding on to something for dear life and not letting it go. In the news last week, there was a video clip of a seven-year-old boy that slipped out of a ski lift chair. He was riding with his family, and after the chair took off somehow, as only a seven-year-old boy can do, he manages to fall out of the chair, and the dad catches him at the last minute and holds on to him, clings to his hand for several minutes while the boy dangles 30 feet up in the air. Fortunately, it has a happy ending because some very sharp teenagers took a flexible fence and made a net and caught him. Our psalmist is clinging, not to his dad's hand, but he's clinging to the truth of the father. He's clinging to the father's word for dear life because they know, he knows they are the safety net in his life. So he starts these verses in despair. But he ends right here in this last verse with this picture of him running with energy, running the path of life according to God's word. You know, we often talk about people that have head knowledge of God's word, but it never travels those 12 inches to their, to their heart. And we see them know God's word, but they don't seem to have the ability to run the race of life according to God's word. Our psalmist here, when he talks about God enlarging his heart, he understands that concept. He knows that it's not what he knows about God's word up here, but it's what God travels, helps him travel that 12 inches to his heart that is going to allow him to run the race of life with God's commandment. And when God enlarges his heart, with the truth of his word, so that he has wisdom and strength and security of God's word, he will run the race of life guided by God's word. Now, our response to listening in on this great conversation between our psalmist and his master teacher, our response simply needs to be to follow his example. A daily prayer of our heart can be, every single morning, teach me, O Lord, because when the God of all the universe is our teacher, he's more than able to take that knowledge we have of his word and move it those 12 inches to our heart. When we say, teach me, O Lord, what we're asking is that he would enlarge our hearts with his word, move that knowledge so that we have the wisdom and strength and security that comes only from his word. Okay, let's read some more verses together. Look at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. You know, whenever God repeats something for us in the scriptures, we know it's important we know it's important, and our psalmist repeats himself here in these verses. He says for the third time, teach me, O Lord. And he adds to that, teach me, O Lord, in the way of your statutes, which reveals his desire to walk the walk. He doesn't just want to talk the talk. He wants to walk the walk that's laid out by God's word. Because the word way that he uses here in our ESVs means a course of life 
or a mode of action. The psalmist's request of the best teacher of all the universe is to show him how to live out the scriptures in his life. He wants to know, how do I apply this word in this situation? How do I apply your word to any relationship? What he wants here uh, is pretty interesting. What he wants here is Monday morning application of his word. Christ Chapel likes to think that that core value was uh, that we were um, pioneers with that core value of Monday morning application, but actually the psalmist meets, uh, beats us to it because that is what he wants, Monday morning application of God's word. He wants God's precepts guiding his life, he says, until the end, until the end. Theologian Charles Spurgeon um, writes about this verse, and this is what he says about our psalmist's commitment to end well. Spurgeon says, those who are taught of God never forget their lessons. Those who are taught of God never forget their lessons. And that's what our psalmist commits to. He commits, if God, as the master teacher of all the universe, will teach him Monday morning application of his word, He will live that out forever. He has no plans to forsake it. God's truth will guide him all of his days. Now, he also repeats himself here with his desire for understanding, for deep meaning, which we talked about a few minutes ago together. And this time, instead of make me have understanding, he says, give me, give me understanding. And those words remind us here that receiving the deep meaning of God's truth is really a gift in our lives that we should ask for. And then we open that gift of understanding, not just with our hands, but we open that gift of understanding with our hearts, with our hearts. You know, our psalmist frequently talks about his heart in Psalm 119. It's a fun exercise to go all the way through Psalm 119 and circle how many places he talks about our heart. He uses all sorts of different expressions with the heart. He talks about an upright heart. He talks about an enlarged heart. And here he commits his whole heart to um, engage and observe the law. And what is expressing to us when he talks about engaging and observing the law with his whole heart is that his relationship with God's word is not an intellectual experience. His relationship with God's word involves his emotions and his will, his soul and his intellect because that's what our heart is all about. Our heart is the center of our being which motivates our responses and our actions. And if God grants him the gift of deep meaning into his word, then our psalmist pledges that he will guard it and protect it with his whole heart, which means he'll guard it and protect it with his emotions and his will and his intellect and his soul and certainly his actions. His use of the expression here, his whole heart, tells his teacher that his heart will never be divided. His love for God's word will be an undivided love. Okay, let's read a few more verses. Look at verse 35 with me. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things 
and give me your ways. Three of my seven grandchildren are in kindergarten this year. And whenever I've had a chance to visit one of those three kindergarten classrooms, I am absolutely amazed at how a kindergarten teacher keeps 15 little people walking quietly down a hallway together. I can't keep the three of them walking from the house to the car. And she manages to take 15 of them down a hallway. And all of these kindergarten teachers, they do it, if you'll observe them, they never raise their voice. Um, they, most of the time, they don't even speak. They're clearly in charge, and they simply use hand signals or a gentle touch. You know, they look at everyone and go like this, or they fold their hands and expect everyone um, to follow. Um, and these littles, they all know who's in charge here. They all watch her and follow her. And our psalmist knows who is in charge in his life as well. And he asks, that's what he's asking for here in these verses as he talks about being led and inclining his heart, turning his eyes from worthless things. He's asking for the master teacher's help in his life of obedience. He wants to be led by God himself. He wants God to give a gentle touch to his heart so that he turns his heart back in line with the truth of God's word. And he wants God to make sure that his eyes are on him. He wants God to give him this um, signal here so that he does not look around at the world around him. You know, submission to God's will, which is what our psalmist is talking about here, and not our own, is always the first step in a life of obedience, in a life that follows God to the very end. In the kindergarten hallway, if you don't follow your teacher, keeping your eyes on her, letting her gently put you back in line, in your place in line, you're never going to make it to recess, are you? You're never going to get out there and be able to play. You're going to end up in the principal's office. My three five-year-olds know about that. Um, our psalmist knows the same thing is true in his life. If he does not submit to God's will in his life, if he does not ask God um, to have that um, will imposed over his will, then there's going to be no obedience to his word. Our psalmist will not line up his life with the word until he submits to God's will in his life. And he will certainly not be the one that keeps God's word to the end. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6 on your verse sheet. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, I love these next few verses in Psalm 119. Look at verse 38 with me. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Now, how many of you have read in your Bible the verse that says, fear of man is the beginning of wisdom? Nobody, right? Because it's not in our Bibles, is it? But that fear of man is almost always in our minds. And our psalmist admits right here in these verses that that fear of man is in his mind as well. He's ever mindful of the persecution and the taunting that he's facing because 
He wants to follow God and live out God's word in his life. He is tested constantly by everyone around him. And so he gets that fear of man. He understands that fear of man, really what it brings into our life is bondage. But the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, that fear comes from knowing and trusting the promises of God. Look at Proverbs 29, 25 on your verse sheet. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And that's what our psalmist desires here. He wants to be safe because of his fear of the Lord. There's a great line in the movie, A Few Good Men, one of my favorite courtroom dramas. And there's a courtroom scene where this colonel is on the witness stand and he says to Tom Cruise, who's the attorney questioning him, he says, are we clear on that soldier? And Tom Cruise very cryptically says, Crystal. Crystal, that's what our psalmist says to the teacher here. Confirm your promises so I will be crystal clear on, on your promises. Because when I'm crystal clear on your promises, Lord, then I don't give in to the fear of man. With God's promises confirmed by God himself, our psalmist understands that he will honor God and fear him. And it's God's promises that are going to drown out the ridicule and the taunting that men will throw out there as our psalmist snare. So when we look back on these eight verses that our psalmist wrote in his acrostic poem, what we see is our psalmist's whole heart, don't we? We see his whole heart here. He desires that the master teacher of the universe would teach him to live life according to his word. He wants to line it up with the truth. And he's going to do that by following God's will on the path of obedience and allowing God to confirm his promises so that he will have fear of God instead of fear of man. And what's his goal? Our psalmist's goal is that he will end well. He will finish well. He will follow God's word all the days of his life. You know, and that's a lofty goal for all of us as God's people, isn't it? Lining up our lives with God's truth and following him with our whole hearts allows us to finish well also. Okay, let's look at our final eight verses. Look at verse 41 with me. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. When we believe in God's love, which results in his salvation, and we trust in his word, then we have the courage to stand up anytime there are bullies around us. And there are a lot of bullies in the world today, aren't there? Our psalmist had them in his world, and we have them in ours. We will have the courage and conviction to speak truth, even to the bullies around us, even to our enemies when we know God's word. And the truth in these verses 
Um, when I read this, studied this a while back, these verses here actually reminded me of um, one of my heroes of the faith, which is Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth um, Elliot went into the jungle of Ecuador and she actually lived with the tribe who had just a few months earlier killed her husband when he was trying to share the gospel with them in the jungle. And Elizabeth Elliot was a gal that was so convinced of God's love and salvation that she went boldly to her husband's killers with the truth of God's word. She trusted God's word and she trusted God's great love for her, which is told of over and over in the pages of God's word, more than she feared her enemies. And our psalmist here, that's what he's declaring. He wants that same courage from God's word so that he can speak to all of these people that are surrounding him. He wants to speak to his enemies, not in anger, not in disagreement, not to start some kind of a fight. What he wants is to be able to speak to his enemies in truth and love from God's word. Look at 1 Peter 3 on your verse sheet. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When our psalmist has the truth of God's word, he gets it that he'll have the courage to stand up to the enemies that are around him. Okay, let's finish up our last eight verses here. Look at verse 44 with me. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love." I lift my hands, I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Our psalmist in these last few verses in um, this final stanza share a couple of great truths here for his life and for ours. A transformed life, a life that lines up with the truth of God's word, always speaks volumes to those around us, doesn't it? We don't have to say a word. We can let our transformed life speak for us. You know, our culture thinks it has all the answers today, doesn't it? It thinks um, our culture wants to share with everyone that all truth is relative, that relationships and genders are fluid, that children need all freedom and no discipline. And I could go on and on about my culture rant, but our psalmist understands that his life lived according to God's word is truly going to speak into the world around him. And what it's going to speak is about freedom. It's going to speak about freedom. To walk in wide places that he talks about here means roomy in any direction with freedom, with liberty. In other words, there's no bondage in a life that's lined up with God's truth. And that's attractive to other people. When they see a life 
that's completely free from the bondage that is offered by the world around us. It's what we all want, isn't it? We all want a life that's free from the things that bind us, free from fear, free from worldly influences, free from sin and addictions. That's the bold and free life that comes from living out the truth of God's word. And that's what our psalmist says his life offers to those around him. It offers a picture of freedom, a transformed life. He also ends these eight verses here, um, not only with a picture of his transformed life, but he ends these eight verses by talking about his great love for the scriptures. You know, when anything we love motivates us, doesn't it? One of my daughter-in-laws loves running, and she loves Disney World. She did an internship in college there. And those two loves have motivated her to sign up her entire family for a marathon run through Disney World in a couple of weeks. Even the four-year-old is running through Disney World. Our psalmist's love for God's Word motivates him to do something even crazier here than run a marathon through Disney World. It motivates him to speak God's word fully, completely, in all of its glory, even to those in authority over him, even to the rulers and kings of his world. And in his world, that might not end very well for our psalmist. You know, the disciples, Jesus' disciples, were also men who made their, who made were made bold by their love for the God's word because Jesus was the word, wasn't he? Jesus was the word made flesh and their great love for the truth he preached, for the death he died, for the salvation his love offered them, um, let them speak God's word after his death with boldness and courage. Look at what the apostle Paul says to Timothy about boldly speaking God's word. 2 Timothy 1, 7, 8 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then he says later in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's true that our psalmist does love God's word. He says that twice in these last two verses. And for him, it's not just lip service because he does more than just say he loves God's word. We see his actions here. It motivates him, just like it motivated Timothy, to be bold with God's truth, to testify before kings. And it motivates him to honor God's word in this very last word we see with the visible act of praise and prayer. He lifts his hands up in praise and prayer of God's commandment. His love for God's word has done two great things for him. It's allowed him to look outward, to testify to people around him with a transformed life, to be bold with his words, even to those who might persecute him and that are in authority around him. And it also keeps him looking upward, lifting his hands in praise and prayer to the master teacher. That's his reminder for us today. 
That's his reminder for us that as we fall in love with God's word, we're going to be motivated to do the same thing. How can we help but not look outward and boldly share the truth of his word with whoever's around us? Share it with our transformed, share it with our neighbors, our transformed life. Share it at the office. Boldly speak even to those that might persecute us. And then we should look up and praise God and um, as we humbly offer him praises for the truth of his amazing word. Pray with me. Father, you're um, a great and gracious God. Thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for sharing um, wisdom, security, safety, protection from sin. Father, we ask that you would take our whole hearts and you would make us bold, just like our psalmist is bold, that we would be able to not only praise you for the truth of your word, but share our great love for your word with others. And I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.